pick a couple sessions that make you uncomfortable. Like when you look at the topics, that these are things that you don't know what they mean or that they are just completely foreign to you because you'll be surprised by getting the opportunity to learn something new. When you get to that first Thursday morning and the lights go down, it's just a, it's a goosebump kind of feeling like, here we go. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Nephron segment where nephrology is always concentrated, sometimes convoluted, but never dilute. Join a group of nephrons as we push the boundaries of kidney medicine. Today, we'll be chatting with two successful kidney researchers who all happen to be uh, on the program committee of the upcoming ASN Kidney Week 2023. And I'm Samira Farouk, a transplant nephrologist at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. And I'm Matt Sparks, a nephrologist at Duke University. Hi, I'm Jordi Cohen. I am a nephrologist and epidemiologist at the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, Samir Parikh, Chief of Nephrology at UT Southwestern in Dallas. Thanks for having us. Thanks to both of you for being with us today, and we're really excited to get the inside scoop about this year's Kidney Week coming up in uh, my favorite city, Philly. So before we get into Kidney Week, we'd love to hear a little bit about both of your careers in nephrology and how you ended up as part of this meeting's program committee. So Jordi, we'll start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened for you? Yeah, I uh, first discovered nephrology actually as an undergrad. I took a histology course that was required um, as part of the biology major I was in and fell in love with the kidney histology. Uh, they taught It was really a physiology and histology course, and it was just very well taught and really you could see how elegant it all was. Then went to medical school. Uh, didn't think I was going to go into nephrology because it just seemed so far-fetched to even consider a a career in it, but I took an acid-based physiology elective during medical school that I loved and then went to residency. And my first day of intern year was July 2009. And it was the week that Larry Beck, that his PLA2R paper came out in New England Journal of Medicine. And I was at Boston University Medical Center where Larry Beck was a pretty, like a relatively junior attending at the time and sat there in front of the group of residents sharing his New England Journal paper on PLA2R. Super excited and like giddy to talk about it. And I fell in love with nephrology there and then and couldn't look back. So I got to round with amazing attendings as a resident and then went to UPenn for my fellowship, stayed at UPenn to do a master's in epidemiology, and then was fortunate enough to get really lucky with grant funding and have been doing hypertension, epidemiology, and clinical trials since then. Jordy, what a great journey into nephrology. Mine was a bit more boring, but it also starts with <laughs> histology. So I was a medical student at Vanderbilt, and our renal pathology teacher was Agnes Fogo. And we know Agnes, you know, is one of the expert histopathology faculty at ASN, at ISN, at all the meetings. And she was a tour de force as our medical school teacher. And we wound up looking at slides, looking at all this, the beautiful ribbons of anti-GB. And that's when I really started liking nephrology and residency in Boston, you know, fabulous clinical teachers just sort of deepen that interest. Although I have to say, I didn't think I'd be doing research. I thought I was going to be a chief resident and then kind of figure it out from there. And the opportunity to do research kind of came along serendipitously for me. The, you know, our program basically expanded by one when I was a second year resident. And the chief of the division came to me and said, hey, do you want to spend a year in my lab? And I was like, okay, sounds fun. You know, this sounds like something different. And, and I just fell in love with research right then and there. And 
you know, I had the good fortune of being in a division at Beth Israel Deaconess where at the time there was a lot of excitement because this protein called SFLT1 had been discovered as a factor that may be secreted from the placenta and triggering proteinuria. And so sort of like you, Jordy, it was a thunderclap moment, like, wow, this is what research can do. You know, just two, three years ago, I had learned about preeclampsia as this idiopathic toxemia of pregnancy. And now I'm in a division that's figuring out what the underlying mechanisms might be. And so I was hooked. I was hooked at that point. And then later in the division, Martin Pollack comes along and finds APOL1. And it's just, my goodness, you know, how can you not be enthralled by the power of research? And so that's kind of my story into research and just following along with these giants. So the summary is histology, PLA2R, SFLT1, and mentorship, and a little bit of luck, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I'd like to add GLP-1 to that list. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, SGLT2. yeah, yeah, right. I mean, these are things, uh, SGLT2 and GLP1, uh, the folks who are working on that, I don't think they had any idea that uh, these would be such amazing targets. So there you go. One of the really fun things for me about Kidney Week is sitting at the very beginning when they're playing the videos for the awards and you're seeing all these discoveries and it's got kind of get chills, like thinking about it. And then the plenary comes on. And I, I just remember the first few times I sat through those and really enjoyed it. What are some parts of kidney week that you've really enjoyed Jordy? Oh gosh. Uh, I think for me, as early in my career in hypertension research, when the new ACCAHA guidelines were coming out and Paul Muntner came and gave a talk and he was the lead author of the guidelines and I got to go and talk with him and meet him for the first time and ask him a million questions. And I think Bill Cushman was there as well for that talk. It got me really hooked on hypertension. Like I was already excited about it and starting to shift into hypertension research and just getting to meet my heroes and have conversations with them and see how down to earth and willing they were to have conversations really to me was an absolutely amazing experience. Oh, and also that one time that Dr. Matt Sparks came to my poster as a fellow and was extremely excited to ask me a million questions about the poster I was presenting. I still remember the first time we met, you were at the fellows competition, I guess it was the day before NKF. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I was very impressed and I'm not at all surprised at all that you've done since then. So congratulations. Samir, what about you? I want to hear about what makes you excited about Kidney Week. You know, the first thing I think about when I think about Kidney Week is the poster session. I love the poster session floor. I feel like the energy is always amazing uh, on that floor. I feel like the random bump-ins you have with people whose work you've read, but you've never met or the people you know are giants in the field and suddenly you intersect with them, or someone finds you to ask you about your own research, you know, as you move along. The poster session to me is a magical place. And, and, you know, like you, Matt, I was, gosh, when you get to that first 
Thursday morning and the lights go down. Yeah, right. You're nodding your head. It's just a, it's a goosebump kind of feeling like, here we go. Uh, and you know, you're not going to be sleeping a lot and you know, you're going to be really excited. And it's just a fun, it, it's a fun feeling. It's, I'm so glad that it's back in person again, because so much of this is about community. And so when I think about ASN, I think about those interactions on the poster floor. Yeah, I love to hear you say that about the poster session, because I think sometimes, you know, particularly for trainees can be sometimes discouraged. They submit an abstract. They're really excited about it. And it's ugh, yeah. it's just a poster. Um, but as you said, I think there's so much that can happen on that poster floor, um, collaborations that you never thought would happen. And as you said, meeting people that maybe you've met virtually or not or seen in the social media space or wherever. So um, it's great to hear love for the poster session and with the free cappuccino from somewhere if you I guess if you can find it. I've submitted tons of abstracts to ASN. I've never had an oral. They've always been posters, but it's never sort of been a just a poster reaction because I think we all realize that there are very few oral abstracts and they're all outstanding at ASN. Uh, but I, I, the, the posters are where the money is at because that's really where you get to really have the whole group of people and it's the social aspect of it and just so much more buzz to it. And occasionally... Posters get New England Journal of Medicine. (laughs) (laughs) And pro tip, the day that I learned that you could have your poster shipped directly to your hotel, that was really a game changer. (laughs) What, you don't think it's cool to walk around with a big (laughs) tube and try to put it into the overhead compartment on the plane? No? No. Talking a little bit about you feeling those goosebumps Thursday morning, and I think that feeling continues every morning. Tell us a little bit about the plenary talks this year that you're particularly excited about and what can we look ahead to and get up early for and make sure that we're awake and alert and paying attention. I'm really excited about Bill McKibben's talk. He's one of the plenary speakers. He's going to be speaking about uh, climate change and how it affects human health. Uh, He's been an author since the 1980s, and he's an environmental activist. So I was pretty impressed with uh, ASN for such a timely invitation for somebody like this, given how much we're learning and seeing actively about the effect of climate on human health. Uh, And he is really the one of the leading authors and activists and journalists in this area. He's had a whole lot of papers in National Geographic and other major periodicals on these topics. And so I think it's going to be an extremely engaging talk. And I also saw there's another um, environmental health and kidney session on November 3rd that has some sessions that sound really interesting. Emergency preparedness in nephrology care, uh, climate change, what to know as a nephrologist, kidney health and agricultural workers and the use of water and dialysis and its impact on the environment. It seems like they're going to go hand in hand. Well, I was just going to say, Jordy, I think that learning more about climate change and heat stress nephropathy, that was an area of focus for us on the program committee. I mean, it's a very timely it's probably past time that we have, you know, significant conversations about this and having Bill as an anchor in one of the plenary sessions is going to be great. I'm also excited, and this is a science dork in me coming out, I'm also excited about a Nobel laureate, Ardem Patapotian, who's going to be presenting on his research, which basically figured out how our body senses pressure. And so the science story is really cool. I'm going to take about 30 seconds to tell you the, the sort of key experiments that his lab did. They basically started culturing neurons and poking them physically. And when you poke a neuron, a certain kind of neuron, you can see a calcium signal. And they took that little assay, a mechanical poke on a cell, 
And they started knocking out gene after gene after gene. And they had a list of about 70 or 80 that they were going through. And so it was just brute force to figure out how does this cell know that it's being poked? And that work led to him figuring out these piezo channels. And I think he's going to talk about this stuff. And so it's not just about us being able to sense touch. These piezo channels also turn out to be important all inside the body. So for example, we all know that our arteries sense shear stress, right? That's what makes an artery an artery. And that's how it gets invested with all that vascular smooth muscle around it. That doesn't happen without those piezo channels. That doesn't happen without the molecules that Artem's lab discovered. And so I'm really excited to hear his talk. I've heard it before. I want to hear it again. He's also, he's got a terrific social media profile as well. A great advocate for scientists and for immigrants like himself who come and struggled in this country and built up something of themselves. And so I think that's going to be a lot of fun too. Sounds really exciting. I wonder what happens when you poke a nephron. It's the same kind of a situation. <laughs> if you poke a nephron, will it not cry? <laughs> Let's not be poking nephrons on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that some of the theory, though, behind uh, adiposity around the kidney and how that could be stimulating RAS and one aspect of RAS stimulation related to obesity? I thought, I'm pretty sure I've read a paper to you on that, but I could be hallucinating. Speaking of science, and you both are very successful in science, a lot of our listeners are individuals just starting out in the field. Can you give a, some advice on how to have a successful career in science and what it takes to, to do that? I wouldn't say I have a successful career just yet, but very excited with the prospects of a future career in science. I think the key to, in general is a lot of resilience, a lot of persistence. Be okay with rejection and make sure that you're able to take that rejection and appropriately sort of ingest it and put it somewhere else, put that energy towards something that's going to be productive as opposed to ingesting it and letting it rot away at you. Because I see folks who really take a lot of it personally, and some of it, it can be really constructive and helpful, and other of the rejections can just really be soul crushing. And if you can't find ways to get through that aspect of it, it's going to be really hard. So I think that's a really important aspect of sort of self-exploration when you're first setting out in this area. And just the persistence of being okay with having to just write a ton of grants and a lot of papers and a lot of other uh, a lot of other things that may not be feel entirely related all the time, because that really helps a great deal in terms of helping you get towards the goals that you're ultimately looking to get to. You have to love writing. Jordy, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. You're enormously successful. I don't know what you're saying. I'm not successful at it. So you're very successful and it's great that you're also humble about it. I would agree entirely with the resilience point. You know, there's so much that doesn't work um, until something does work. And I think our brains are wired to success and you have success when, you know, all throughout education and you have success when you're particularly in the, you know, uh, training to be a physician failing is not so good for your patients. And so we're wired toward, toward success. And it's hard to make that transition from success, 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 down to, you know, failure, failure, failure. So totally agree on the resilience point. Um, you know, I think for, for me, the influence of mentors. I mentioned earlier, 
I didn't really think I'd have a career in research. And then suddenly I was surrounded by all of these inspirational people. Um, and just being open to that inspiration, being open to their excitement. One of the pieces of advice I got from a senior mentor was to be a yes man. Uh, you know, everyone says to focus, focus, focus in research and kind of be narrow. And, uh, and this advice was say yes when opportunities come along. Just say yes and try it and see what happens. And you never know where it'll go. And I have to say, for me, that's what research was. It was, uh, it was an opportunity presented. I said yes. I was skeptical that it would go anywhere. I remember telling my wife, make sure in a couple of years when I'm deep into this and I don't recognize that I'm failing, that you tell me to back off and go do something else. Uh, I distinctly remember that. And, uh, but, you know, say yes and try it. And, and I think that that openness is, for me, it's made all the difference. And, and you know, I, I now, as the chief of a division, you know, meet with people who feel, particularly clinician educators, who feel pressure in a way, like, what am I going to do scholarly in my career? And, and you know, I try to tell them, you don't have to answer that question. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have that, you know, ah, the creative spark. You know, I know exactly, you know, what I want to go after the big problem. If anything, the opposite is better. Just say yes and go join someone who's doing stuff. Go join the Jordy Cohen group that's doing really outstanding stuff. And, and, and you'll figure it out. You'll watch Jordy do her thing. And, and with time, it's sort of cognitive behavioral. You know, practice makes perfect. So just go do stuff, I feel like. I, I think we don't, we don't give each other enough permission often enough uh, to, you know, we want everything planned and, you know, uh, neatly laid out. And, and I think that uh, a little bit of the opposite can also be good. I think that's so important, all of what you both shared for successful academic careers. And since we're sharing mentor advice, I think whenever anyone asks, what has a mentor told you that has stuck with you, I would oh, the one that sticks in my mind the most is from Dr. Barbara Murphy, who was my mentor for many years. And it was a very simple statement. And I was having an angsty moment as a clinician educator. And she said, if that's what you love, that's what you do. And that really sticks with me in every day. And whenever I'm thinking about new projects or not, I think being grounded in that, in addition to you know trying new things, I think making sure you love what you do is, is incredibly important. And, and the rest sometimes will follow. So along the lines of, you know, trainees and, and careers, uh, Kidney Week is a really exciting time for a lot of trainees, particularly those that are there for the first time, and it can be a very overwhelming meeting. So what are your thoughts on how a trainee can take full advantage of Kidney Week 2023? Is there anything new for them or what do you, what should they do? Maybe I'll start with my own first experience at ASN. I, I'm old enough that they used to print out the program and you would get this giant booklet it wasn't a booklet. It was soft cover. It was a book. And I would flight to the meeting, start marking out my entire journey. Now they have called the interwebs where you can build a schedule online. Actually on the ASN website, you can build a schedule. You can just drop and drag uh, what posters you want to go see, what sessions you want to go see. Um, and so I think some of that forethought um, is great uh, because it's such a huge meeting it is challenging to take that whole thing in at the first pass. And so having a path that you can navigate uh, through the meeting is good. 
wearing a comfortable pair of shoes is good. And everyone's nodding right now uh, because we all put in probably, you know, 15 to 20,000 steps every day uh, at the meeting. I think, you know, one of the areas that I'm excited about for 2023 is we're going to have more of a focus on digital health. It's not yet a pathway. Jordy can tell you it was one of the areas that I really tried to push hard for this year's meeting to become a pathway, but I think it will in future years. However, there is a lot of digital health content. There are entire sessions dedicated to all the different ways, you know, whether it's AI, the EHR, or what have you. I mean, digital health encompasses quite a lot of areas, but they're now finally being organized so that interested parties can begin sort of finding these. And, and I think there's a lot of digital health content that's also sprinkled through traditional sessions. So for example, you know, uh, renal path and how can you use, for example, AI to analyze images in the future? I don't know, Jordy, what about you? What are you excited about? Yeah, I think for the trainees, I um, completely agree with you. The good advice that I had gotten was, of course, pick the sessions that you're really excited about and that sort of hit the spots that you're that you want to learn most about, but also pick a couple sessions that make you uncomfortable. Like when you look at the topics, that these are things that you don't know what they mean or that they are just completely foreign to you because you'll be surprised by getting the opportunity to learn something new and how exciting that is to see the energy in those rooms too. Uh, so I just think it's really, really fun to pick a couple that are just completely new. And there's lots of that. Um, and then the other uh, topics that I was really excited about, there's a lot of DEI um, and social determinants of health sessions this year. And I think they're going to be phenomenal. Um, there was one session, for instance, that we uh, had set up for um, the cardiorenal and hypertension group, all about social determinants of elevated blood pressures. Um, talking about topic areas that um, I haven't gotten to hear great talks on, and I'm so excited to learn more, for instance, uh, blood pressure in Hispanics and in the Latinx community and other sort of uh, underrepresented groups that we hadn't really read or heard about or thought about as much as I think deserve to be represented. So I think there's going to be some amazing content there. Second, the digital content topic, because I'll be giving a talk on cupless blood pressure monitors. So I think there'll be some really, really exciting uh, stuff happening there. Other things that I'm excited about are some of the novel drugs coming through the pipeline that are going to be talked about, not just the ones that are big press that everyone's hearing about, but some other really new mechanisms and new approaches to treating disease that there are a few sessions hitting on that I think are going to be outstanding. Talking about sessions that, you know, make you feel uncomfortable, uh, I think for me that is a chloride channels, physiologic and pathophysiologic relevance. (laughs) I think I might, might go to that one. It's Thursday morning, first thing while I'm still fresh. Might be good to get that one in. <laughs> well, speaking of novel drugs, late-breaking clinical trials is always a big one. Is there any preview we can have or when are we going to know? What can we expect? How many se- uh, I have absolutely no insight into that whatsoever because uh, I wasn't involved in the late-breaking clinical trials aspect of it besides just saying that I, having been on it for other committees, not ASN, the tough nut to crack. It's really, really a hard decision to figure out which of these trials go because you don't get any information because they're often submitting to present before you know anything about the trial because it's proprietary. So that's sort of where we stand. Even if we did, even if we were the people on the committee who are picking late-breaking trials, we probably wouldn't even know anything about them. (laughs) The only thing I would add to that, I was on the late-breaking clinical trials committee last year 
And just like Jordy said, it is really interesting, this sort of dialogue that happens among the authors, the journals, and the professional society in terms of, you know, what abstracts wind up being presented. Uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting session. If you rewind our history back five or 10 years, largely the LBCTs were negative study, negative study, negative study. And then if someone could make this graph of the fraction of studies that have been positive uh, over the last few years, I think you'd find that the, that fraction has been rising. And I expect that trend to continue. And I, and I will add, because I see Jordy's got a finger up, negative is great too. It's very informative. But, you know, I, I, I'm a yes man. I'm all about hope. I, 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 want, I, I want that positive study. And I think, so, so I think that there's going to be great energy in that room again. One of the other points of discussion that came up at this year's meeting was, what about expanding from one session, one LBCT session to two? And so that also gives you a sense of impactful research happening at the level of patients that is growing and growing. And we want to, I think ASN wants to be able to meet that growth. And so not this year, but maybe in future years, there'll be more than one uh, late-breaking clinical trial session. They always put the late-breaking clinical trial session at the same time as the education poster session. Is there some sort of conspiracy against us? <laughs> well, I, I think they know that, Matt, you and Samira, you guys are just so magnetic that, uh, that if they need to put some other content uh, against the LBCTs, it's going to have to be the two of you. You know, so that was an excellent recovery. Only the strong Um, carry the burden. (laughs) Along those lines, I noticed a a new tournament in the program. I think when I think about ASN and tournament, I think about the fellows in training bowl. Um, But I saw this um, ASN innovation tournament. What is that? And what's going to be happening there? Jordy, do you know? I, uh... I, I know nothing about this. So I'll tell you what I think I know about it. I learned that it's a head-to-head competition between different topics related to the prevention and treatment of kidney diseases where Kidney Week participants vote for which topics they think are the most exciting and promising for kidney innovation. So I think I will be there. Um, That sounds really exciting to me. That sounds like Neff Madness, but brought to Kidney Week. But it's live, so it's different because it's sort of, uh, instead of being this sort of long educational opportunity where you're learning over several weeks, it's sort of more the hot take on it. I think that's... Yeah, I'm very curious as to what the topics are going to be. And, and it's, I think it's always fun to have participants in the crowd voting for you know what they want. Maybe live voting during the late-breaking clinical trials with like thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> I was going to say that sounds like a gladiator contest, you know. Sorry, uh, that that was no good. Thumbs down. So I think a lot of people usually are not part of these big meeting planning committees. Just so we can get a sense of this, can you give a sense of how how long y'all have been planning this meeting to let people know how massive of an undertaking this is and and how much time it really takes? From right after the end of the last kidney week, <laughs> I think that yeah. they start sending out the emails too, asking for uh, people to send in suggestions within a month of uh, when kidney week occurs. So that's classically when we we also have our deadlines then to start putting in our suggestions. And it is a big organizational lift. This is my second tour of duty on the program committee. I had done it about ten years ago. And the way it's done now, I think, is much better because we're organized into teams around content areas. Before, it was just one person for an entire 
content area like hypertension, maybe one or two people, not a whole four or five individuals. Hypertension still only two. It's only two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I was going I, you know, I, AKI, which was the group that I was on this year, we were four. And I think that was really helpful because it avoids the echo chamber sort of phenomenon. And, and we can also kind of cross validate each other. And there were different times during the previous year that different members of the group were pulling on the rope and kind of pulling us through uh, because it is, it's big. You're coming up, you know, in, in our AKI group, I think, uh, gosh, we maybe came up with 10 sessions to start and we were integrating sessions that members of the ASN community were submitting, just like Jordy was describing, plus our own ideas about sessions. And then you put all that together and you spend, you know, months trying to whittle it down and you're trading talks with other sessions, you know, things that are at the intersections. And so how the whole meeting finally gets put together, uh, yeah, it's like a logistical miracle, I would say. What do you think, Jordy? I agree. I was so impressed. One of the, uh, the, the woman who sort of does the main administration for it, I think has a, a perfect like photographic and like spatial, spatial visual, visual memory, because she knows exactly what room a particular session was in three years ago and how many people attended it. And so she knows which room to put it in this year and how many people will be attending it. So I think it takes people like that, like this incredible talent of people who are very invested in it, um, besides just the the clinicians or the physicians that are on the committee to, to really put all of that together. Uh, well, we're look, really looking forward to it. And then something we like to do as we get to the end of this is to ask our guests a very difficult question. What is one thing that brings you joy outside of medicine? So art, food, uh, exercise. I was a very sedentary person before I got to Dallas. And the food is so good here, which is one of the things I like, that now I need to exercise. And, and I find that uh, exercise brings me a lot of joy too. So uh, that's three. Uh, Jordy, how about you? My two are rock climbing and or anything involving going up a mountain in crazy ways. And my 18-month-old daughter, whose new favorite word this week is cocoa for coconut. As we come to the end of the Nephron segment, thank you both Jordy and Samir for being on this episode of the Nephron segment. We are very excited about Kidney Week 2023, and we can't wait to see everyone. And a big thank you to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nephron segment, where nephrology is always concentrated, sometimes convoluted, and never diluted.